Friends, if you uh, have a Bible, a physical one, or uh, one on your app, if you could turn to uh, John chapter 8 with me. Um, I'll explain a couple of things to kind of set the scene for us today. Uh, This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different um, that's sort of, um, hopefully, will be a benefit to you. Um, uh, And so, uh, as we've been praying and considering uh, how to handle this passage, uh, I hope it's going to be a sense of uh, ultimately walking away with two things. One, um, trusting God's Word, and two, uh, some of the truths that are in this story that that you would uh, walk away with understanding more uh, about who God is. Um, And so often we say this at Canterbury Gardens, is that if you're someone who's um, exploring the Christian faith, we, we pray that you would continue to have Jesus revealed to you and that you will grow in your walk and love for Jesus. Uh, if you're someone who's a bit skeptical to this Christian stuff and maybe you're um, you know, unsure, maybe uh, you're exploring it, that, uh, that God will reveal himself to you through his word. And maybe there are those of us, and particularly in our day and age, those of us who have been a bit burnt out by the church for various reasons. Uh, We pray that whoever you are, that you will continue to discover this Jesus. And so if you have your Bible with you, I I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 8, and I'm just going to read it to us, uh, and then I'm going to read some other passages as well. Uh, and here is from John chapter 8, starting in the first verse, or 53, as it says in your text. It says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He again came to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses... Uh, commanded to stone such women. So what do you say? This is, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast the stone at her. At once, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard, they, they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older woman, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go for, and from now on, sin no more. I want to read a couple of passages to you. Uh, John 5 says, we've been uh, discovering this already, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. In verses 22 to 24, it's up here on the screen. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then Romans 8, verses 1 to 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let me pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, this morning we're going to do something very different, and I know that you already know this, but I pray that you would speak more about yourself, 
that we walk away knowing you and we walk away knowing your word and trusting your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would settle all our hearts. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through your Son for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So one of the things about Canterbury Gardens is that we take our time uh, through uh, books of the Bible. Uh, We do that deliberately because we believe that as we sort of spend time in God's Word, and and some people call it expository preaching and so on, but we want to take that deliberate time in going through God's Word. So when that happens, though, uh, there are passages that come up that you cannot avoid. Right? It's there, right in front of you. You have to talk about it. You have to speak on it. So if you have a physical Bible, most probably, just above John 8, you'll see little brackets. Yeah? If you don't have a physical Bible on your app, it doesn't come up, but it might be a little footnote or a number. And it has this little picture up here on the brackets up on the first next slide. And the brackets say, with a little manuscript or a little writing that says, the earlier manuscripts do not include chapter 7, verse 53, which I just read, and chapter 8 to verse 11. Now, one of the great joys about teaching like this is that you have to talk about it. Uh, You have to mention this. Now, just so that you know, uh, that's nothing new in the New Testament in particular. In the New Testament, there's other passages. Now, I don't know if you remember when we were exploring the Gospel of John, it came up already, didn't it? Do you remember the story of the man who was lame and he was at the pool? And some manuscripts, particularly King James Version in particular, talks about uh, that angel would come and stir up the water, right? Uh, what about if you grew up in certain circles in religious backgrounds? There may be even the, 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 the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. And usually, uh, depending on what version you have, one verse is usually taken out. Because it talks about early manuscripts don't have it. Uh, There's the story in Mark, towards the end of the Gospel of Mark. So the end of Mark, there's the last chapter and there's another little section. And there's like a little bracket. Now here's a couple of ways of handling this, I think. One, which was my temptation, ignore it. Pretend it's not there. Some of us may have grown up in church where someone has given a sermon on this. I don't think they're doing anything wrong, by the way, if they do that, personally. Uh, some of us uh, might just want to say, what's the point? Why, why are we spending time on this? Uh, friends, I want to encourage you, particularly in our day and age, that you need to consider a couple of things. Firstly, my prayer is this morning that you, uh, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus, that you will, in some sense, walk away equipped to trust in the Bible, to trust in its authority, uh, to trust that it's sufficient, to trust that it's inerrant, and also to trust that the Bible speaks of someone that it's all true and beautiful. And that's also for those of us who might be exploring the Christian faith. You may have questions about the Bible. Hopefully this will sort of give you a sense to explore further to trust the scripture as it is. And then after that, I want to encourage us to consider something because I think there are some things in here that the story does mention that the Bible actually speaks of. And I want us to maybe 
finish off there. Uh, so firstly, to kind of give you a bit of a, a scene or to equip you, hopefully, uh, I want you to imagine for a moment, right? You have been going to, to work, school, maybe there's a family member who doesn't know Jesus, uh, who's a bit skeptical about uh, the Bible, who's skeptical about your things that you've been sharing with them, and you've been exploring and telling them about Jesus. And they say to you, finally, okay, fine, let's do this. I want to get to know this Jesus that you speak of. And then you might say, well, all right, uh, let's, let's read this book that I've been learning together at church, uh, the Gospel of John. Have you got time to do that today, together? They say, sure, why not? So, as a good Christian, you, you take time, starting in John 1, then John 2, then John 3, and you keep on going, and you're reading, and they're really unpacking. And they come up to John 8, and they have a physical Bible just like you, and they say, hey, what does this mean? The early manuscript, I thought you said the Bible is true. Did you not? Didn't you say the Bible is trustworthy? Didn't you? What would you do if someone turns around to you all of a sudden and says, hey, uh, hold on, what's going on here? Uh, A friend of mine, a a neighbor of mine, always uh, has wonderful conversations with me about this stuff. Uh, And he always tells me, a first one, and particularly recently uh, during... um, a little few weeks back, uh, through Facebook and stuff, he put up, put up a post due to a certain um, thing that's going on in our media at the moment regards, regarding a certain rugby player. And he told me, uh, your Bible uh, is not really true, is it? It's a bit old. I mean, it's all been changed over the years, and you can't really trust it. What would you say as you engage with such a person, or maybe even in your family member? Some of us might be tempted, I just don't want to think about it. It might unravel things for me. Uh, Some of us have grown in it and and says, yeah, no, I do trust the Bible. Some of us, even as Christians, might even have doubts. We might be scared to face those doubts. Friends, the section here, can I encourage you to consider something? It's a great tool to use. The authority of the Bible the sufficiency of the Bible and the inerrancy that you can trust the scriptures that we have are trustworthy and true. What do I mean by that? Now, if someone came to you and said to you, how did you get your Bible? What would you say? Um, Me being a bit um, silly and smart aleck would turn around and say, oh, well, you know, I went to a Christian bookstore. Uh, I walked in there, went to the Bible aisle, uh, and the Bible had, had lots of things, including leather-bound, margin-bound, flower patterns, whatever you're into. And I went and chose that Bible. It had the Old and New Testament, and that's how I got my Bible. Nowadays, for those of us who are a little bit more cheaper, we can just download the app, right? We don't, we don't need to go and get a physical Bible. We're very spoilt for choice when it comes to getting a Bible. And there are many brothers and sisters in Christ who are crying for the physical copy that they would love to have. So how do we actually get the Bible? Now, I could spend a whole sermon on it, but I'm not going to do that. I want to kind of summarize and particularly focus in regards to the New Testament and particularly in regards to this particular passage that we're considering today. We want you to understand the Bible. Uh, if I asked you, when was the first ever written Bible? What would you say? Anyone? 300 AD? Yeah? Anybody else? 
Okay, wonderful, right? So this is kind of giving history of when the physical printed Bible was available, right? Do you know the first written word was given? When God himself speaks to Moses and writes down the commands and says, this is my word, this is my commands. And then later on as you go, the stories are written down and copied by scribes and people who would write Old Testament uh, passages and, and, and actual instructions by God. And later on you come into the era of Jesus. And while Jesus is there, the, the Old Testament is there. It's available. It's not available to everyone, but particularly religious leaders know about it. But they're memorizing it. They know it. They're soaking it in constantly. Jesus is proclaiming the truths. And every time he speaks... He's not just speaking his own words, he's actually quoting scripture. And then you go on from the story of Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, he's crucified, he's raised again on the third day. And then Jesus goes and instructs his followers. And the followers go to be sent out to proclaim the message. And the followers go and they write out the teachings of Jesus. And that's why we've been exploring the Gospel of John. One of his disciples actually wrote it down. And this has been passed around in little parchments and writings for people to hear and to listen. And over time, what happens is people start copying. Now, in those days, it's not like if someone came up to you and said, hey, uh, by the way, I've got just this letter from uh, John. He's just handed it to you. Um, he's got John chapter 1, and, and someone reads it out to you, and then someone says, hey, let me just get my phone out and take a photo of it, so I've got the text in front of me. Often what would happen is someone else would copy it, and if they could afford it, they would hire a scribe. And so what you have are all these little parchments were lost and found, but God in his mercy and grace kept it protected and so over time there are people writing it out and particularly in the new testament what happens is it came written out particularly because it wasn't made to be known to the common people to everyone in that language in that time and day and age was the greek language so the greek language was written and, and people spoke it and so the new testament majority of it was written in greek and then these really smart people wanted to protect the word and they wanted to make sure, they wanted to get back to the original and to make sure what we have in front of us today is true to the original writings. And out of that, it's up here on the screen, I guess some translations came out. The translations were known as uh, Greek translations. This is where uh, there was the Septuagint was the original that had the Old Testament and New Testament so they could translate it into the common language at the time. Uh, there was another language called the uh, Nestle Allant Greek text. And uh, there's the UBS and the Textus Receptus, which is what the King James Version mainly used. So this was kind of collated because there was so much of these writings available and trustworthy that in Greek, that in time, people used this as the source to go and write the English Bible that we have. The reason why they had that was to say, hey, we let's go back as close as possible to the original text, what was originally there. So this is what's going on. And this is what's going on in this moment 
then you and I have a passage that says in these kind of brackets, it's not to make us throw ourselves off and go, oh no, what's going on with the Bible? No, it's actually to tell us, hey, the physical English Bible that you and I have in our modern day translations is as close as possible to the original text, that it's trustworthy. The sources are trustworthy. This is a technical uh, era or technical area called textual criticism. Uh, recently, I had the great privilege to be away uh, for a few days, not because I was away, but because I had to do my studies. Uh, and during my studies, I was there with a guy called um, Daryl Bock. Uh, Daryl Bock, or known as Dr. Daryl Bock, is a New Testament scholar, New Testament the- theologian. Um, and so, I'm like thinking about this chapter, how to teach it. And I said, Daryl, I've got some questions for you. Do you mind if I did a video with you? He was kind enough to do that. Warning, he's got a loud laugh. Second warning, the recording's pretty average, but hopefully you'll get it. Can we just play the video up for us? Thanks, Jane. Uh, well, good day, everyone. Uh, this is a bit of a surprise because I'm away at a place called Yarra Valley Resort uh, for class, and it happens that I'm doing a class with this gentleman here. Uh, he's known as Dr. Daryl Bock. Um, not that kind of a doctor, a different kind of a doctor. Uh, uh, I've had the great privilege of actually knowing you. You're actually quite well. I just want you to know that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, the doctor says I'll, you're in. Great. Right. I was a bit concerned with that. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, um, for those of us who may not know um, Daryl and who he is, um, I guess give us a little bit of background. Where are you from, Daryl? There's a bit of an accent. I'm from Dallas, Texas, which yeah. I don't have that much of a Texas accent, but I can do it if you want. Sure. And then, and, and I, so I live in Dallas. Uh, I teach a New Testament at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I'm executive director for cultural engagement at the Hendricks Center at the seminary as well. Yeah. And now, if you Google uh, Daryl, you'll see there's a couple of things. One, he's written a bunch of books. Um, one that's really sort of. Uh, was famous when I was a bit more younger, I guess, was when the Da Vinci Code came out. Yeah, that's right. And your response to that was really helpful. Called oh, Breaking the Da Vinci Code? Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we broke it and it you broke it's it. never come back. Never come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also Daryl, as being a New Testament scholar, he's written a few books and commentaries and so on. And that's why I'm talking to him today, because as you know, we're going through the Gospel of John. We're up to the section in John where there's John chapter 8. And is it really there? Um, and I guess that's the question I have about this chapter. Uh, some of us would say, don't preach John chapter 8, it's not in there. Some of us, I know, have preached it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess from your perspective, is, isn't the Bible that we have the Bible we have? It is in John chapter 8. Well, yeah, the Bible we have is the Bible we have, but there are parts in the Bible that weren't in the Bible when the Bible was written and becoming the Bible. Right. Which... It's very confusing, but yep. that's the case. Yep. So if you have a modern translation, it will bracket these verses, the last part of chapter 7 all the way down to 811, or 813 in there somewhere. And, uh, and what it's signaling is that that passage is not located, was not originally located in John where it now resides. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so it's an uh, its own independent story. I think it's an authentic story of Jesus. Um, it it had various locations in earlier manuscripts. Some have it where it is. Some have it actually in the Gospel of Luke. Um, and so, 
Um, so it's been located and it landed in, in John 9, kind yep. of a visitor. Yep. So I think I'll park here. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, uh, um, and in the midst of that, um, if you pulled it out, John would actually make sense in terms of the story that it tells. So that's one of the clues that we think it isn't where it originally belonged. But I'd still preach it and teach it because I think it's reflective of something that did happen in Jesus' life and something that is a reflection of of his character and his person. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I guess in in relation to that, then for those of us who maybe knew or exploring the Christian faith uh, and sort of, you know, as Christians we put a lot of trust in the Bible. For those of us who are skeptical, we'll be saying, well, here's another proof saying the Bible's been manipulated. How would you respond to something like that? Well, we do have a lot of material um, where we're trying to figure out exactly what the wording of the Bible is. Mm -hmm. There's a whole discipline dedicated to this called textual criticism. Mm -hmm. I tell people it's like having 105% of the Bible. Okay, we got the Bible plus, and it's sorting out what really is there. The important thing to know is, is that you can add all those differences together, pile them on top of each other, you know, so it makes a stack. And it wouldn't change one single doctrine of what the Bible teaches. Mm. Only thing it would impact would be how many verses make that point. Sure. So, uh, so in that sense, uh, the variation in the big picture doesn't matter at all. Okay, fantastic. Well, friends, there you have it. It was a short snippet. Uh, if you want to know a bit more about uh, Daryl, um, Google him. You'll find him. Uh, check him out. I would encourage him, particularly his books and so on. Is there any way that we as a church could be praying for you, and particularly in the context of what you're doing currently? Yeah, well, just pray for an effective ministry. It would probably be what any minister of the gospel would ask for. Yeah. Pray for effective ministry, and, uh, and, uh, and my prayer and hope would be that your church and your community would thrive as they walk with God. Thank you. Um, Actually, this is a good time, maybe. You can plug. There's a new thing that you've been sort of exploring called podcast or vodcast. Is that right? Podcast. Podcast? Mm -hmm. So, podcast. Well, it's actually a vodcast and a podcast because it's in video and audio. Yeah, why don't you plug that? What what, what is it called? It's called The Table. Table Podcast. Uh, Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. And uh, we t- touch on the things that uh, that God, where God and culture overlap, which is just about everything. And uh, the URL for it is voice.dts.edu/slash/the-table. Beautiful. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks. Thanks, Daryl. Appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Sure. Okay. Um, I don't know. One of the key things that you picked up from there is to know and trust the Bible that we do have that it is trustworthy, and that it is uh, there for us to grow and learn from, but particularly as we grow to know who this Jesus is. Uh, in particularly the context that we're talking about in this story, as Daryl was talking about it, is that this passage, uh, John Piper speaks of this in his quote that I've got up here. Uh, for example, in our passage from John seven fifty three to eight eleven, no truth that this gospel teaches has changed by omitting this story. So there's no change in the true story of the Bible in that gospel. And to get a, it's a bit of an understanding how spoiled we are, particularly in our day and age, uh, I was coming to do some research on this and I came across a website called Visual Theology. 
Uh, for those of us who are visual, I would encourage you to go to it. They've got wonderful resources, good uh, Christ-centered resources. There's a um, screen up here I want to show you. This To understand that the, the, the manuscripts that we have, there are more than 5,700 Greek manuscripts containing either parts of all of the New Testament texts. Compare this to Homer's, these are like histo- um, historical writings of Homer's Ilad or uh, Bailuf. But the point of that sort of screen is to say, hey, we can actually trust the Bible that we have. And it comes with authority. God in His grace and mercy has protected this. So when we read these kind of things, are actually there to help us to know we can trust the original writings. So friends, um, I want you to know that's kind of the summary of it, but to say we can have confidence in God and His Word. Uh, But to kind of continue on a little bit, the Bible that we have is trustworthy. The Bible we have has full authority. The Bible in its original language is perfect. It's inerrant. But I have a question for you. What's the point of the Bible? Why do we have the Bible? What's the point of it? Uh, maybe the Bible, for some of us, is just a set of moral codes written down to tell us how to live. But you know what? There are other religions that do that. There are other cults that do that. Maybe for those of us, uh, there, it is really, it's wonderful t- stories in there, isn't there? I mean, even this very story that we just, it's a good story. It's got some, lots of emotion in it. There's drama in it. It's a wonderful story. Maybe those of us have maybe even grown up in, the, in the, the church that loves the Bible so much, but became very good at keeping the law and the letter of the law. And sometimes I think we miss the one who is the law fulfiller. Do you remember in the Gospel of John why the Gospel of John was written? Chapter 20, verse 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Did you know the Bible that we have in front of us is not just a bunch of words? These are true words written for us to point us to someone. The Bible is wonderful. From Genesis all the way to Revelation... It is the biography of God. The one who is revealing himself to you and I. To show a God who is interested in relationship with us. That includes you and I today. The Bible at the heart of it is about him. This is why we encourage you in our church, even today, to read the Bible. To spend time in it. Because in that moment when you and I open it, really read it, listen, it's as though we're hearing the very words of God speak to our hearts and souls. This is why the Bible has authority. This is why it is true. Uh, now, friends, whether if you uh, believe if this is true or these, were, these, these passages are here or not, either way, like Daryl was talking about, most New Testament scholars say it most could have happened either way, but it does actually speak of a truth. And because of that, I wanted the passages I read earlier is the ones that we're going to park on for a little bit. 
Because in this picture and story that Jesus may have done or didn't do, either way, he speaks of him being a judge. And that's what they're wanting to test him out on. On, on one level, to break the law. And the second thing is actually to also get him in trouble with the Roman Empire. To cast judgment. But we know that already, right? Is Jesus not the judge? We've been exploring that in the Gospels. Did you know there's only one true judge? The true judge is not social media. The true judge is not the culture that we live in. The true judge is not GoFundMe. The true judge is not even the religious elite. There's only one true judge. And that judge is Jesus himself. We've already explored this in the Gospel of John, right? Remember in John 5, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is Jesus. This is the one who has the right to judge. Because he is God, because he is God's son. He has the right to judge all of us. Whether if we are religious, whether if we are irreligious and have no interests, whether if we are followers of Jesus or outright rebels, whoever we are. But see, how we experience this judgment will really ultimately come down to seeing who you say Jesus is who we declare Jesus is in our hearts. Because here's the thing. Because if Jesus is the Christ, which he is, and to have life in his name, that means there's this wonderful promise that is brought out. And that's the passage I wanted us to consider in Romans 8, verses 1 to 2. Uh, Jesus is the one who also says to this woman, he says, go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. We know that there's also a storyline of the Bible in Romans 8. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the truth for those of us who know Jesus. But followers of Jesus, do you really believe this? Do you really trust this truth? I know there are days for those of us who know Jesus that might be feel like you're constantly walking as though you're condemned rather than resting in the truth of his word. Rather than trusting that in knowing Jesus we are given life. But not only that, we have this wonderful freedom that's given to us. Romans 8 speaks again. And not only are, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but there's a new reality. There's a new law in a sense. The spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. There's freedom that Christ gives through his spirit. This is done because Jesus himself has given his life. And then he sends the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Last week, Nathan spoke on this. He touched on this a little bit, did he not? Where he speaks of, where Jesus says, I am the living water. And if you drink from me, out of you will flow rivers of living water. And that is the Holy Spirit. 
And that means also that truth uh, of not sinning anymore is the truth for all of us who follow Jesus. Yes, we're under no condemnation. The Spirit has been given to us to empower us to actually live according to God's plans and standards and not to sin, to run away from it. And when we drop the ball, to run to Him for forgiveness. But I think in that time and day, I would suggest there's probably three ways that people often live when it comes to understanding who Jesus is. Firstly, there are those of us live life, not interested. Uh, Great suggestion, but I'm not really looking into this who Jesus is. Some of us uh, totally believe in Jesus, has maybe even said a prayer, has given their life to Jesus. But then we think, All of our Christian life is now about sucking it up and trying really, really hard on this side of heaven. Friends, the Bible describes the third way is to live life in the Spirit. Now, life in the Spirit is a Christian lingo. It's a Christian term, and often you will hear about it. What does it mean? Uh, Here's what I would suggest it means. It means that if Jesus is the king of your life, then he has sent his spirit into your heart and soul. He sealed you and the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's as though the Holy Spirit has invaded into your life. And now he's trying to reorientate and to rethink the way that you live life itself. Because now your life is not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. He sets the agenda. He's the one who sets it all in place. Everything is now changing. It's though as a seed has been planted into your soul, now you respond to the king and his voice through his word. As the spirit now makes these words become much more than just rules, it actually becomes life-giving truth to produce fruit. And the fruit that God promises is not temporal fruit, is everlasting long-term fruit. You can go to a kid's church uh, time at some point throughout the year, and at some point your kid will come back with the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, Christian? You probably have heard about it. You've probably grown up with it. Uh, you probably even memorized it. That's a really bad picture, isn't it? You can see clearly there. So the fruit of the Spirit are what? Love. That sounds joyful, guys. You have to keep going. Okay, towards the end I have self-control. But we've heard about this, right? We've heard about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, whose fruit is it? Yours or mine? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's the one who produces this fruit. It's a picture of surrender. It's a picture of asking for God to produce His fruit in us. And it's also a promise. But friends, this side of heaven, this is a lifelong journey. It is a call to all followers of Jesus as we continually say to Jesus, be king of my life. The Spirit produces fruit in us. It's a picture of lifestyle and surrender. You know, when we are called to follow Jesus and he's the king, uh, what's going on, as I was saying, our hearts are now starting to change as we look at things now in life, it should be hopefully be different. And what he's producing in us is things that really matter. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, and gentleness. 
Now remember I said to you, uh, there's three ways to live. Uh, one way, if we, if we, if we kind of pull apart one of these fruits, um, one way to do it like this. Now, I don't really like pulling it apart because it, this is my personal opinion, is that I think it's all connected together. You can't have one without the other. The idea of the fruit is all producing together in one. But if you pulled apart, for example, the word love. So in the world that we live in, we speak of love. We sing about love. There's lots of views on what love is, but it's usually platonic or sexual. Right? That's the idea of what love is. That's one view. So people can say, I'm going to produce that kind of love. Another version of love is that we believe in Christ and and who He is, and we say, yes, I want to love people, God. Please help me to love people. I'm just going to try really, really hard to love people that ultimately are like me, have the same theological views as me, who dress like me, probably not, who go to church like me, who sing songs like me. And it's some sense like a, well, let's try really hard to love. What if there was a third way, which I think is a freeing, hopefully spirit-empowered kind of love? The love that says that we look to the one that has loved us perfectly. That as the Gospel of John unpacks for us, the one who first we look to, and say, Lord, I can't love like you can. Please help me through the power of your Spirit. The one who was willing to stoop down and wash his own disciples' feet. The one who was willing to forgive those that betrayed him. The one who says to his disciples, hey, do you want to know how people will know that you're my disciples? By what? Loving one another. This is Spirit-empowered love. And as you and I look at this idea of love through the lens of Christ the one who's done it perfectly, then it enables us to love our enemies, including those of us who are constantly maybe bagged out on social media because of our faith. Because the source is not me. The source is the Holy Spirit. And when that fruit is produced in you and I, the glory goes to God because it's empowered by Him. So friends, this morning I want to ask you three questions. Which way are you living? Who are you? Are you living the first way? Well, I want to let you know now. Reading the Bible would be wonderful, but we want you to know something. That there is a God. The God is the creator of the world and of the universe. And this God placed the first humans into this world. And under his loving lordship and care, he said, follow me, love me, serve me. But the first humans were tempted by Satan. And the temptation was to ultimately say, no, you do not need to follow God. You can be your own God. You can be your own king. And so since then, they said yes to that. And they committed sin, disobedience. And ultimately, life became about them. Ultimately, life became about trying to see how they could get up to God's standards in their own effort and moral. But God in his mercy sends the one and only son, the perfect one, the one who's described as we described in John, the word, the one who is although God was willing to surrender and be obedient to the father perfectly to die on the cross for you and I. This is this Jesus. And this Jesus will come again. Like I said to you, he is judge. And if you don't know this Jesus, we're calling you to explore his truths and claims. 
And if you're a follower of Christ, how are you going doing life in your own energy and strength? How are you going in fighting sin in your own energy and strength? How are you going loving others in your own energy and strength? Friends, we all need to continue to look to the one, Jesus Christ. The one who himself said, I will send you my spirit. I will send you the helper who will empower you to live in this world. The same spirit that raised Christ is now living in us. Think on that for a moment. The same spirit that rose Christ is living in you and me. So what does that mean for you and I this week? Well, something to consider. If you're a parent, uh, there are many of us here. As you continue to raise your child to love Jesus and his commands, rather than trying to do it on your own strength, maybe say, Holy Spirit, help me. Produce your fruit in me of love, joy, peace, patience, as I love my kids. For those of us who may have certain standards, uh, true standards that started from Scripture to say, hey, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe now when we look at other people and we think, oh, you know what? They're not really getting up to standard. Maybe you need to be reminded of the grace that Christ has shown you. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit, please produce love, patience, goodness, faithfulness, your fruit in me. And those of us who are a little bit despondent in our faith, you're feeling a bit lukewarm. Friends, the reason why we at this church say, hey, read the Bible, is not just because we want you to read the Bible. We want you to understand the author of the Bible. So did you know that you can read this and totally miss Jesus? Because the Pharisees of old did. It's not until the Holy Spirit makes these words come alive will it change you. Did you know that for you and I, that if we spend 15 minutes per day in reading the Bible, that works out to about 90 hours per year. Did you know that if you just, you and I just set aside, not, you know, just set aside 30 minutes of our day, that's about 180 hours per year. Imagine if you could do it for one hour a day. That's 365 hours per year. But do it because you want to know the author of the Bible, the sovereign one. And to do that, you'll need to make time. What does it look like in your season of life? And maybe when you're getting into the car or traveling somewhere to work, before you listen to the radio, and maybe put on podcasts or ABC to find out the latest debate about Israel Folau. Before you do that, take some time to listen to God and his word. Maybe the idea of this is to look at what kind of translations are there, come to an understanding of what kind of translation God has put in place. So choose one, but know that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes these words come alive. Uh, personally, for me, two translations have been really helpful. One is the ESV, and there's a new one that's sort of come out called NET. It's on the net. You can, net Bible. Uh, and you should be able to look that up, and it'd be really helpful if you can uh, get into that. Finally, find a plan. Find a plan. We are spoilt for choice in this side of uh, in this world. I mean, I can pull up an app now and look for Bible plans, and it's littered with plans. Friends, the reason why I think sometimes we lose sight of what the Bible is about: the Author, the Perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ.
Let me pray. I'm going to invite the team to come up. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust your word. In whatever season that we're in, would you please enable us to look into your word, not to just find those nuggets, but actually to know you, to trust the promises in your word. Holy Spirit, would you make us a church that loves the word so that we may love the Savior. We pray this in your name.